On this episode of Ukraine Watch, I speak with a veteran of the Azov Battalion, Vlad Zhaivornok, who was held captive by Russian soldiers in Mariupol. After his release, he became an advocate for his brothers-in-arms, who are still being held captive in the Russian-occupied territory and some who have been taken to Russia. He also lost his right leg in the war and has become an advocate for at least one organization that I've had on the podcast before, Revived Soldiers. This is part one of my conversation with Vlad. We talk about the Azov Battalion. We talk about the accusations that Azov are fascists. And we talk about the war itself and the reasons why he thinks that people should support Ukraine. What? Vlad, it's a pleasure meeting you. Thanks for agreeing to speak with me. Hello, you're always welcome. So for those of us who don't know you, tell us how your military career began. So it started back in 2018 when I've taken my final resolution to join the Azov regiment. I went through all circles of hell to get there. Because for me personally, it was extremely difficult in view of all the difficult training required for that. All the standards, all the trainings that you have to undergo so that you can be considered one of the warriors of the regiment. It was difficult, not from the first time, but I made it. This is how my service began. And by the beginning of the full-scale invasion, I had already three years of contract a number of uh, combat missions. I had certain uh, battle experience and every such thing, every single adventure during those three years as a military, it was something that helped me survive later on. Not just to survive, but to demonstrate myself I don't want to decorate my to appropriate some achievements, but I know that I've demonstrated myself better during the war than I expected from myself. That's why I can say that it was all for reason. It was not in vain. And the only thing I regret is that I have not joined as of earlier. But every, there is time for everything. And to the time has proved that it was a timely resolution. Did you have any military experience before you joined the Azov Battalion? No, I was a civil specialist. I was working in Odessa. I was no experience at all in... No, not even a tip of, I don't originate from a family of a military, I have no friends among military, I was not familiar with that world before I joined Azov, but everything that I know and I can do as a military, I've, I've learned it after I joined Azov three years before the beginning of the full-scale invasion. Uh, 
Well, before you joined the Azov Battalion, had you heard the accusations levied by some, for example, in the Russian media, claiming that the Azov Battalion was fascist or that it was filled with Nazis? Had you heard any of those accusations before you joined the organization? Well, before all of that, I... How can I explain it? I was living in Odessa, and back in 2014, there were certain events in Odessa on the 2nd of May, and it was back then when I studied the media component, I was studying both Ukrainian and Russian news, and back then I've already noticed that there was no single piece of truth coming from from Russians. They always omit something, they always prevaricate something, and they present the facts. Well, they try, well, it's not the facts, they try to uh, present some personal thoughts of the reporters that in no case are based on any facts. All the news, they create them for certain purpose to demonstrate, to sell those news in their internal market, so that the majority of their journalists who love some hot news, some hot facts or something, that they can present as facts, so they always make up something new, so that the heading looks gorgeous, interesting, so that it's a clickbait, as it's called now. So after those events in Odessa, no news for me, I mean, no Russian news represent anything that is true. I continued to study them, I was continuing to watch Russian media, and during the events in Mariupol it was completely the same, no single news, no single piece of news, look, not like the majority of the news are fake, or some news are fake, but no single piece of news was true, so all those news that could be verified when they were writing about or reporting about something that I could verify, nothing was true. So rushing a little bit ahead, so in 2015 I started having this desire to join uh, some military unit. And back then I was understanding that Russian propaganda is absolutely inadequate and I always had that feeling when I was reading their news. That they do everything in a very clever manner, but those news are created for somebody who has no method, no way to verify all those news. What they were saying, the Russians were saying that Azov is the most evil Nazi unit, all of them are Nazis, all of them are war criminals, but what I have seen that in 2015, when Mariupol was shelled by Grad MLRS, I've seen the warriors from the regiment help the civilians and Russians at the same time were writing that it was Azov who was shelling Mariupol. 
and that they eradicate the civil population. And what I see is I was seeing the well-prepared, well-trained military who know what to do, who know what to do, even in a situation when the city is shelled and they are ready to help the civilians, they are ready to cooperate, because in one way or another we all protect our homeland, we all protect our people. I've seen those guys from Azov help the civilians. So for me personally, it was very pleasant to see and feel something like this. And this is when I started feeling this desire to join a unit like that. I wanted to know what it is to be one of them. One of those guys I've seen on video. Are you originally from Odessa or from somewhere else? No, I'm from Berislav, a small town in Kherson region. I left it as I uh, graduated from the school. I moved to Odessa, so in fact I'm Ukrainian. I can consider myself a guy from Kherson or from Odessa. Well, you know, it's... I don't know. Now it's not urgent. I'm Ukrainian. The further I'm from my home, the more it seems to me that there is no difference between place where I was born and place where I was growing up. All of them are Ukraine. Before the war, what language did you speak in your everyday life? Was it Russian? You're from Odessa. Yeah, I was Russian speaker. I was studying in the Ukrainian school, in the Ukrainian class. The language of study was Ukrainian. It helped me and it keeps helping me until now to communicate in Ukrainian. I think that I speak Ukrainian quite good. But later I moved to Odessa, where the curriculum language was Russian. And not because less people were speaking Ukrainian here, but because most of the professors were uh, were teaching in Russian, and you know, retraining the old people is. We all know how difficult it is in Odessa. I was russified, so to say, if you can call it russification, because I see more and more difference between the language which is spoken in Odessa and the language which is spoken by Russians. And I have to say that Odessa Russian language uh, it, or that the language spoken in Odessa is Russian is not quite correct because not all of the Russians understand uh, the way the Odessa city denizens speak. But all of the Ukrainians do understand the Russian language Russians speak. Well, you may understand this phrase in the English language. The United States and Great Britain are separated by a common language. Well, yeah, right, exactly. I'm uh, on rehabilitation in the United States. I'm feeling this. I communicate with both British and Americans, and sometimes I have trouble understanding what do the British say. I'm getting more used to the American English, and the same thing is in Ukraine. We have differences in different regions. 
in terms of language and based on Kherson dialect and Odessa dialect, I feel very comfortable switching to Russian and in the same way I feel comfortable switching to Ukrainian. I see no problem about it. But generally, before the beginning of the full-scale invasion, I spent more time uh, speaking Russian, just like the majority of the servicemen in the Azov regiment, they were Russian-speaking just like me. Well, this is exactly what I wanted to ask you about, because well, I'm surprised by this, or you know, maybe you'll be surprised that this is surprising to me. The Russians or the, the Russian media call the Azov Battalion a fascist Ukrainian organization, so it doesn't quite fit that there are so many Russian-speaking Ukrainian fascists in Ukraine. Uh, you already said that the Russian media has an alternate version of reality. Absolutely. They try to distort all the reality, they build it on their official position. And the official position in Russia is being dictated by the government. And unlike the civilized world, the representatives of government in Russia is just another caste of the population. They have Boyari, the rich people, or those affiliated with the government, and the Raholops, the simple folks the poor ones. So those on a higher level, they try to paint this picture of the world, but this picture is never something that corresponds with the reality and everybody sees it. It's seen, first of all, by the regular Russian population. You can call them Russian population, or you can otherwise call them Holops or the Kripasni, the slave. There is very little difference because uh, during history, all those last centuries, not much things changed in Russia. They have those top-level government officials, and you cannot uh, just join that case for no reason. If you were born a slave in Russia, you're, you die a slave in Russia. This is the Russian world that they fight for, and the Russian world that they want to get all of the neighboring nations joined. This is why this is something that we fight against. And in Ukraine, you were asking, you were asking about the language used in their uh, regiment. They show us as the fascists that we are evil, we are Banderovets. And that very same, their investigators, the people who were communicating with me in the colony, they were trying to ask something about Ukrainian language, about us banning Russian language or something like that. And I don't know, they were kind of stumbling and they were stopping to support that or developing that topic when I mentioned that the majority of the Azov servicemen speak Russian. And moreover, the Azov commander, uh, Redis Prokopenko, he's a Russian speaker too. So that their propaganda breaks right there.
regular videos from Azov Stal, regular videos of interviews with Redis or other warriors from Azov. I'm currently speaking with you in Ukrainian, or this is the language that I use in the media space. But if there is no need, no specific need, I don't use Russian language either. But once again, I want to emphasize I'm a Russian speaker, so I cannot be described as someone who was somehow, someday, somewhere trying to uh, ban Russian language or prohibit someone else to speak it. So this also begs a question for me. I mean, it seems clear to me what Ukrainians are fighting for. They're fighting for freedom. But it doesn't seem to be that, well, to me, it doesn't seem that this war is being fought just over language or territory. It's, it's not just about that. Do you see it that way? Well, this is the war for freedom, the freedom of choice. This is the war for the civilized world, for the European culture. Ukraine is, or it was such a, such a place where democracy was born in Europe. Our siege, I mean the Zaporizhia siege, is the first democratic formation in Europe. First con constitution was written in Ukraine, the Philip Orly constitution. All of us subscribers can find it then after they finish watching this video. If they didn't know it before, they can find it online, find out what the world was looking like back then what the Ukrainian world was looking like, what the Russian world was looking like, you, they can compare and there will be no doubt which world Ukraine was aspiring to always. And the way of Ukrainians is the way to freedom and liberty. In any case, war for the territory. Well, it's our land. We don't want someone else's land, but we will not give our land to someone else. I will joke a little bit that those who try to take the land from Ukraine, from a Ukrainian, they don't know how the Ukrainians set the borders between their land plots. It can be a war of generations for that line but in fact yes this is our land we don't have any other land we, we don't want someone else's land and trying to take it from us this is the war against ukraine this is the war against humanity against the ukrainian people against all the principles of the modern world against the principles of democracy principles of freedom in Russia, their policy now is such that everybody is trying to show that the language of power, the language of strength, is something that can work in the modern world. They are a big country and they can attack a smaller country and to absorb their territories and to do that genocide that they do in Ukraine now. But Ukraine is fighting at any cost, no matter that from the very first days of the full-scale invasion, many countries of the world did not expect such resistance from us. They were giving us some funny hours, days. They were 
expecting Ukraine to fall, but this is not something that happened. It goes on for more than one year now. To a certain extent, it's the merit of my unit. We have to thank all the forces of Mariupol garrison, because us and some other unit, units bought something that was of great value to Ukraine. We bought Ukraine some time back then. And there is nothing more valuable in the world than the time. The time while we were defending our cities, including Mariupol, we gave all the world time to prepare to give us some helping hand. And it may sound surprising, but remember those first weeks, first month, when the world was not going to help Ukraine. Those were some micro-doses of weapons, like have some old BTR, or, or have those three cannons, or something else, like very little by little, small, small portions. Formerly they did support us, but those first month, uh, those first month, the, I mean the support which was provided during those first month, it reminds me of uh, uh, the way we were fed uh, while we were imprisoned or taken as prisoners of war. We had uh, like four meals per day, but all that food could fit in one small cup. This is what was happening with the support of Ukraine within this first month. And my brothers and ours, with the, their lives, they created the situation. At cost of their lives, we made it obvious to all the civilized world that it's uh, indecent not to support, not to help. Ukraine spends a lot of uh, human resources, but keeps fighting, keeps resisting. So it was a method of moral pressure on the world that we will keep fighting, whether with you or without you, but you know who you are if you don't support us. Again, with the view of Budapest Memorandum and other agreements, it's century 21. And in the century 21, if a more powerful country may attack a smaller country and take over, it ruins all the international agreements, all the international conventions, it ruins international institutions such as NATO or Red Cross, and this is the biggest threat. The threat is not that, that Ukraine should be supported because it just needs help. But it's important for the whole world to understand why. Imagine how the world would change if Ukraine loses this war. After that, any smaller country will understand that it cannot be protected. There is no one to uh, save them from a bigger country. And I think that any smaller country in their cellars will start creating the nuclear weapons because they will understand that if they don't have such weapons, they will be destroyed, they will be captured, and their people will be tortured to death. This is what Russia has shown in Bucha, in Irpin, in Mariupol. 
in other uh, cities in the Zoom. And on top of that, you've seen that the international institutions, they don't really want to work a lot. I don't want to touch the position of NATO, but some members of the NATO in Budapest Memorandum, they've taken obligation to to preserve the territorial integrity of Ukraine, and in exchange Ukraine gives up its nuclear arsenal. It's a very, it was a very important moment in the global history. Ukraine had third largest arsenal of nuclear weapons, and we gave it up voluntarily in exchange to the obligations of other countries who were wielding a yet bigger arsenal, so they protect the territorial integrity of Ukraine. And looking back into the past, I understand why it was done. It was done by those very same countries. I don't call their names. We all know what countries are those. It was a big plus for them that the level of tension in the world subsides. Less countries have nuclear weapons in the world. In general, it's good. Well, it's good for the most powerful country in the world, it was good for them, but now this Budapest memorandum didn't work somehow, and thanks to the Ukrainians who were dying during the first days of war, we've bought this time for Ukraine, and after that all of the world had seen that not helping Ukraine, not helping the country, which gave up their nuclear arsenal that was aspiring to peace, that they, who gave up this heritage of the Cold War. Now it's being beaten by one of the countries who is supposed to protect them. Well, all the world has seen that it was just irrelevant not to help. You're just acting bad if you don't help Ukraine. Fortunately, all of the civilized world now sees that and the scale of support keeps keeps growing and I hope it will it will keep growing yet more. And regarding the international institutions, there are such that don't really work quite well. There is a number of unpleasant moments when Russia shut down the UAV above the Black Sea, the American MQ-9 Reaper, and NATO has not reacted and has not started shutting down Russian planes over there. I want to believe that there is some political resolution behind that that will result in something yet more positive than shutting down of Russian planes, but excuse me, now I feel kind of negative about it. I have now less respect to the International Committee of Red Cross because it's been more than a year that my brothers and ours are taken prisoners of war and Ukraine within that period was providing access to the international organizations for inspection of condition of Russian prisoners of wars. Meanwhile, Russia does not provide access to the Ukrainian prisoners of war. 
the biggest humanitarian organization in global history. It just doesn't fit in my head and this is the biggest threat. We live in a world where even the International Committee of Red Cross cannot inspect the condition the prisoners of war are, whether the international conventions are complied with, there is no access to those prisoners of war, and uh, instead of finding ways to access them, they just let us know the Russians didn't let us in there. We cannot work there, like we are small kittens, and that's it, we cannot do anything. So this is the biggest threat. If Ukraine loses, if Ukraine loses this war, imagine what, what those international agreements are worth. Now, Hungary, if we can call it so, they put the sticks in our wheel, they create obstacles for Ukraine wherever possible. They create obstacles for the European Union in their resolutions to support Ukraine. Perhaps there are people in Hungary who think that if Ukraine loses, uh, Hungary would get some benefits from that. Or maybe they expect that they may take part of Ukrainian territory later on. Maybe they expect some presence from Russia. But I think for the population there, it's important to understand that when your neighbor is Ukraine is one thing, but if Ukraine loses, their neighbor will be Russia. And for Russia, it's not going to be a big problem just to show on their TV some man who says that it was always a Russian territory. It should end with the victory of Ukraine because otherwise the borders of the European countries will be with Ukraine not with Russia and that's a completely different country we don't try to invade our neighbors we don't try to justify our invasions by some historic reasons we don't lie we don't lie on the mass media this is why I want to believe that the civilized world will help Ukraine more actively in our war.